Well, good morning, everybody. We are glad that you're here as we continue this uh, worship journey called It Just Got Weirder, right? And oh, by the way, I meant to tell you that I had volunteered to sing that song earlier, but for some reason, <laughs> Karen thought that QM could do a better job. I don't know why, but thank you, QM. Thank you. <laughs> So, are you an underdog fan? I am. I like the underdog. I like rooting for the underdog. I like trying to find the underdog and hoping, of course, that they win, right? And uh, I don't know that uh, Flower Mound was an underdog or not, but they did good, didn't they? And we're real proud of them, and that's an exciting time. When I think of underdogs, I often sometimes also reflect on uh, what are sometimes referred to as unsung heroes or the, the, the folks who we don't really know would have become a hero or somehow they, uh, they sort of rose to the top, right? And one of the things I reflect on is a guy that we all know now, but several years ago, and I forget when it was, I think it was 2009, this U.S. Airways pilot flying a plane over the Hudson River and landing it on there. We now know him, Right? Sully Sullenberger. You know Sully? Well, I didn't know him before. My hunch is you didn't know him before. And my even bigger hunch is most of us never heard of this guy before. But because he did so well and landed that plane so professionally and saved all of those lives, you remember this image, right? Everybody getting out of that plane alive on what was a horribly atrocious uh, possible death threat, right? And so I love these stories. I love the way these unsung heroes or these underdogs, if you will, can come out on top. And it's a powerful image, right? And a part of the truth of our faith is that our scriptures are full of these unsung heroes, these, these people of faith that we sometimes either have heard very little about or we perhaps have never heard of before. I think of names like Shipra and Pua. Do you know Shipra and Pua from Genesis? or Exodus, rather. It's from Exodus with Moses. They were the, the, the birth mothers, right, that helped save Moses and, and helped give him life. Or how about Rahab, the prostitute who saved Joshua and Caleb, right? How about Ruth, who saves Naomi, or Esther, who saves her people? These are all unsung heroes. I maintain that Jesus himself was an unsung hero. We can look back 2,000 years later and, and know he was the savior of the world and recognize why he came and how he has saved us from our sin. But the Hebrews of the day and certainly the Roman citizens of the day would have never imagined that he was the Messiah to come. Our scriptures are full of unsung heroes and people who seem to just rise to the occasion to help bring us faith and to help claim for us a deep relationship with God. What a gift that is. The scripture that we're going to share today that is clearly weird, and you will know that when, when I read it, uh, is a story of unsung heroes, of people who have risen to the cream of the crop, people like Deborah and Barak and Jael. Most of us have never heard those names before. And if we have, we haven't read about them frequently because they're not in Scripture frequently. And yet they are these powerful unsung heroes. So today we're going to be in the book of Judges. It's a, it's a book of the Bible that we don't often read. But it's a book about a certain period in the Israelite history as well. And that period sort of falls between the exodus of people coming out of slavery into the promised land and the unified kingdom that David brings together, right? And in this in-between time, we have a series of leaders that are often referred to as judges, but are actually deliverers. 
They are delivering the Israelite people from their sins and they are helping save them from their dilemmas. And so I don't know why they're called judges other than they make decisions and they help guide the Israelites. And there's this, this constant sort of framing that goes on in the Israelite history. Uh, I don't know what we're doing and we're not doing it well. God save us and send us a leader. God sends a judge and a leader and a deliverer and they follow that deliverer and the deliverer works well and then the deliverer dies and the Israelites turn back and we start all over again. And this is the series and the cycle. Listen to how it's described in Judges itself in the second chapter. It's described really well. In chapter 2, verses 16 through 19, then the Lord raised up judges to deliver the Israelites from their attackers. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge over Israel, he was with that judge and rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. For the Lord took pity on his people who were burdened by oppression and suffering. But when the judge died, the people returned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse than those who had lived before them. They went after other gods, serving and worshiping them, and they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. This is the story of the Israelites. It's a cycle. It's a system that they exist in. And the period of the judges is this time frame that we're going to read from today. And it helps highlight for us why these unsung heroes do phenomenal work to help deliver the Israelites from slavery to sin and death. So let me paint the picture just a little bit. So in the book of Judges, there are several of these judges, some of which you've known. You know Gideon, right? You know uh, Samson, the guy with the long hair who then shaved it off, right? And then those are some judges you know. But some judges you may not know are Ehud and Othniel and perhaps even Deborah. But all of them play a major role in the Israelite history that helps the Israelites finally get to the promised land and understand God's promises in their lives. But here we find ourselves facing three unsung heroes, Deborah, Barak, and Jael. And they are such unsung heroes that we hardly ever know of their name or understand their purposes in the scriptures. But it goes something like this. The Israelites found themselves in sin they needed a savior or a deliverer, a judge, and so God sends them Deborah. They are persecuted and are about to be overcome by the Canaanite king, Jabin. Now, if you were with us last week, you may recall that Canaan was cursed, right, as a child of Ham. You remember that whole story in Genesis chapter 9? And now we're facing Canaan, the king, uh, king Jabin of Canaan. They're about to conquer the Israelites, and that's not the way it's supposed to go, Right? And the major commander for the uh, Canaanite king is named Sisera. So you've got some of the players, King Jabin, Sisera, his commander, and then you've got Deborah who begins to judge and, and begin to set order for the Israelite people and to help them find their way. Well, Deborah recruits a guy named Barak. And Barak is a fascinating guy. We don't know a heck of a lot about him, but clearly he's a go-getter. He will recruit 10,000 soldiers. These 10,000 soldiers will help overcome King uh, Jabin of Canaan. But Barak doesn't really want to do it initially. Deborah recruits him and he says, you know, I, I don't know that I can do this if, unless you go with me. I, I don't, I'm not sure I'm capable unless you help me. And we get to Judges chapter 4, verse 9, and, and Deborah says this 
to Barak to help him set his course at ease. She says, of course I'll go with you, but I just need for you to know you will not get credit for this victory. The Lord will let a woman defeat Sisera. Well, that probably blew his whole balloon, don't you think? I mean, he's about to recruit 10,000 people. He's about to conquer the Canaanite king's army, but he's not going to get any credit for it. And thus, we find ourselves in the weird story. So I want to read to you from Judges chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Now, there are some words and names in here that don't make any sense. Just I'm going to try to botch them as best I can. We're just going to get through it. But help us understand this way in which God works to help bring faithfulness to a faithless people and to help an unsung hero save the people of Israelite. When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So remember, Sisera is the commanding officer for the Canaanite king. He called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors, and they marched from Herosheth Hegeum to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. So in a matter of days, he's recruited 10,000 warriors. He's engaged them in service, and they are about to conquer the king and his, ba- and his uh, uh, warriors. Then Barak attacked. The Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Well, there's a good commander for you, Right? All of his warriors are at war, and he's going to town, and he skips out. Verse 16, then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army all the way to Herosheth Hagiom, killing all of Sisera's warriors, not a single one left alive. Now, this is the promise that Deborah had made to Barak. You will conquer them. You will overcome them. He's done just what, they've, just what she promised him, right? Meanwhile... Sisera ran to the tent of Jael. This is the woman, the wife of Heber, the Canaanite, because Heber's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin of Hazor. So it's interesting, Jael's husband has some kind of peace accord or peace agreement with the Canaanite king. This would not be normal, but this is how their relationship works. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. Please give me some water, he said. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anybody comes and asks you if there is anyone here, say no. But when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground so that he died. Now, just in case you were unaware, this is the weird part. (laughs) When Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went out to meet him. And she said, come, and I will show you the man who you are looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Sisera lying there dead with the tent peg through his temple. 
So on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. Well, friends, this is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I don't doubt there's anyone here this morning who believes that this isn't a weird text, right? I mean, it's just weird. It's a weird set of circumstances. It's a weird uh, uh, issue that J.L. literally sends a tent stake through a man's uh, temple lobe and puts it into the ground, and, and this is the Word of God for the people of God, right? I mean, I hope we would all agree that this is a weird text, right? But I need for us to put it in context so that it will help us understand the totality of what God is trying to do here, because whenever we find weird texts like this, this is what we need to do. We need to recognize the, the situation that's at hand and then also recognize how it's in the context of everything. So remember, the Israelites are trying to make their way to the promised land. They've been promised that they're going to overcome the Canaanite people. They're not quite there. They're in a system and a cycle of sinning and apostasy and not following God and not living by the, the, the laws of faith. And yet, God continually is faithful and sends them a leader over and over again. These are the judges. And Deborah is one of those judges. I just want to highlight as well, not only is Deborah one of those judges, but she's the only female judge in all of Scripture. She's the only female who ruled in that way and delivered in that fashion. In fact, the book of Judges has the most female characters of any other, scripture, uh, other book of the Bible. And all of the women in Judges are helping to lead towards God's faithfulness. Unsung heroes and the ways in which God can use people that we would not normally use or understand to be uh, people uh, to save like that. So let's look at a couple of things. Deborah calls Barak. He goes into service. He clearly kills everybody just as he was promised. And Barak is a fascinating character because we only hear of Barak here in Judges 4 and 5 when he's doing his good work, and we don't hear about him again until a New Testament book of the Bible, the book of Hebrews. And if you've ever read the book of Hebrews, you know it's a powerful treatise that helps connect the dots between what the Israelites were trying to do and what Jesus ultimately did as the great high priest and the savior of the world. And in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, there's a fascinating litany of all the people of faith who have lived in faith and died in faith. You see all the big names, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Moses and Aaron and all of those folks, all of the prophets, and stuck right dab in the middle in verse 32 is Barak. Barak finds himself in a list of names among all of those bigwigs because he's a man of faith and he's an unsung hero who God uses to help deliver Israel in the most uncertain of circumstances. So you've got Deborah and you've got Barak and they're doing their good work. They're trying to help pull the Israelites into the faithfulness of God. They're trying to help connect them with God's ultimate destiny for their lives. And then you've got J.L., who does a really weird thing, right? And here's what I want to say about all that. J.L. was an expert with tent stakes and mallets. Right? Now, I say that in all seriousness because here's the deal. It was the women of the day, both in the Hebrew tradition of, of the, of the uh, migratory working of them, and even to this day, the Bedouins in Israel, it is the women who set up the tents. 
It is the women who set those stakes in that arid, dry, hard, rocky soil. She was an expert with a stake and a mallet. She knew how to get it in that dirt, and she clearly knew how to get it in a temple lobe, right? She did it just how she knew how to do it. The question is why? Where does this come from, and why is this happening, and how is this about faithfulness? Well, I'm going to hope to get there, friends, in the next, I don't know, five to ten minutes. So here's the deal, right? Israelites have been found faithless. They get these leaders who keep coming in called judges. God remains faithful always, and these judges help them out every single time. Deborah, being one of those judges, has told both Barak and other people that they are going to conquer Jabin, the Canaanite king, and a woman is going to get the credit. So there's a part of the setup, right? Jael's the woman. But we also have to understand the context of what's going on, too. There's, there's violence going on in the Hebrew Scriptures all the time. I know for some of us when we read, for instance, Joshua and certainly the book of Judges and a few other texts in the Old Testament, when we read it, all we can think of is, man, there's a lot of blood and violence and gore and, and war and all those things, and, and you would be right. And then we have to pause and go, well, golly, what, what is that all about? And why is it that in the Old Testament there seems to be a God who's out to get other people, namely the Canaanite people, and then when we get to the New Testament, Jesus is going to kind of rectify all that, and he's about peace, and he's the prince of peace, and, and, and God doesn't seem to want that anymore. And we have to figure out, well, what does all that mean, and where is all that? And a, a, a couple of things. I, I don't have a specific answer, but I have a couple of thoughts. One is... Clearly, in the biblical day, when we're uh, moving from one place to another and we're trying to conquer a, a, a group of people, that is to say, we're gonna, God promised us this place. God promised we would get there, so surely God's going to help make that happen. Well, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but anytime one group of people tries to overcome another group of people, there's usually violence right? I mean, it, it, it's just kind of the way of the world. I mean, I've never seen where one country who wanted to overtake another country or one group of people who wanted to conquer another group of people, that there wasn't a war, that there wasn't turmoil or tension or some kind of conflict, right? Because one has power and one doesn't. One wants the power and the other one doesn't want, right? And so there's a human condition going on where there is war. It, it's true in the Bible and it's true in our modern day times. It's also true that in the Bible that we want to give God the credit for all the times that we killed people. Well, God's leading us there, and God told us we were going to get, so surely God must have made it happen. I don't know. What I do know is we want God to win, right? And if I'm following God and I know that God and trusting that God wants us to get there, I'm going to give God all the credit whether it's me or not. That's how I do it. And we've been doing it that way for centuries. Think of the Crusades. In the name of Jesus, we killed hundreds of thousands of people because we wanted God to win. The Inquisitions in the 14th and 15th century, same way. The manifest destiny of this country overcome and conquered Native Americans simply in the name of God's rule for us to expand. You see, we're pretty good at it. We're pretty good at saying this is God's way because we want it to be God's way because we believe it's God's way, right? And so, to me, the violence is much more about our need to win than it is for God to approve it. Now, clearly, there's plenty in Scripture that says God asked for this to happen or God directed them to do that. I would like to suggest to say that I don't believe in a God of war, but I believe we want God to win. 
and therefore we're gonna put it all in God's hands. That can be a very helpful thing, but it can sometimes be a very destructive thing. And we've seen it both ways throughout the centuries, right? JL is not about the war. JL is about achieving God's will for the Israelite people. And she's gonna do it in a very weird way. Let's take note of something else that's going on. When Sisera shows up at her tent, did you notice that her husband Heber is not there? She welcomes Sisera in and she offers him all kinds of hospitality, but she is alone. And in this day and time, it would not be common at all. In fact, it would not be right at all for a man who is not her husband to be in her tent. And yet she welcomes him in. It would not have been right at all for a commander of a major army to enter a woman's tent where the husband is not present. It would not be right at all for that guest to have asked for a drink, which he did, nor to ask for her to lie for him, which he did, nor to ask her to stand guard at the tent door, which he did. You see, Sisera was flying in the face of hospitality left and right. He shouldn't have never entered her tent. She should not have had to offer him hospitality, but she did. And she did it all well. She offered him a, a flask of milk, right? She offered him the comfort of her tent. She offered him to lay down to go to sleep. And then she protruded a tent stake through her, his temple. It feels as though her hospitality has gone horribly wrong, right? Golly, how hospitable is that to kill the guy who comes into your tent? But we need to look at it from the opposite direction. He was at odds with all forms of hospitality, and therefore she was threatened. Imagine, if you will, for instance, you're a lone woman, your husband's gone, we don't know where Heber is, but he's clearly not present, and this man comes, and you might know of him because there seems to be some kind of peace accord between your husband and the king of Canaan, but he's not there, and this warrior has asked to come into your home, and you're all alone. What do you do? You offer hospitality. But what if he pursues things that aren't right? What if he does things that aren't appropriate? What if you feel threatened by who he is? You take a tent stake and you hammer it through his pillar of his temple lobe. You see, it's fascinating when we get to Scripture how it's hard to see sometimes the bigger picture. I imagine that J.L. did not do this in order to uh, achieve some common grander goal, but rather maybe just for self-preservation. But in the big picture of things, God is still at work just the way God has been at work through all of the judges, through the faithfulness of God continuing to work through the unfaithful followers of the Israelites, because that's the way God works. And God often uses the unsung heroes like a JL to help us reach God's common goals. It's a fascinating story, isn't it? God is faithful no matter what. God can use unsung people and people that we might not otherwise know. And God's constantly at work in the universe to help set things right. Here's what I think we begin to learn from JL and Barak and Deborah. We all have sinned and 
fall short of God's mark, right? Just like the Israelites, just like Barak, just like even Jael killing somebody. This is what Paul the apostle would write about when he writes to the church at Rome, for instance. And in chapter 3, uh, verse 23, Paul literally says, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we therefore have been justified and made right with God all through the redemption that is found in Christ. Part of what we begin to see is that God is working redemption through very unredemptive ways. Because God can do anything. And God can make all things possible, right? I think a part of what also is going on is this whole sense in which, um, man, even when we feel alone, like J.L. was, even when we feel as though we can never conquer whatever is set before us, whether it's getting a new job or our marriage is on the rocks or we're facing addiction or, or life is just coming at us full bleem and we don't know what to do, God is still with us. Just like God was with Jael and Barak, both in the army field and in the tent. Paul the apostle would likewise write about this to the church at Rome. In Romans chapter 8, Paul literally says, uh, what are we to say about all these things when he's talking about things that are coming at us? And he says, finally, God is with us. If God is for us, no one is against, who could be against us, right? A part of the gift that we begin to discover in a very weird story is that God remains with us even through the difficult times and that God remains faithful even when we may not remain faithful. And then there's one fascinating last leap I make. Deborah. It's the only common name in the group, right? Deborah, Barak, and Jael. Deborah in its original etymology means bee, like a bee that makes honey. Now, J.L.'s name is not quite so loving. J.L. means mountain goat. <laughs> but if Deborah is the bee who makes honey and J.L. is the mountain goat who makes milk, which is what she offered to Sisera in her house, Canaan, the land, is the land, God said, of milk and honey. And the bee and the mountain goat conquered Canaan and allowed a door to open for God's promises to be fulfilled. What a fascinating way for God to be at work. So friends, the next time either you read this weird story, which I don't know when that will be, or the next time you feel overwhelmed or feel as though somehow God is not at work in your life, I want you to think of J.L., and I want you to be mindful of these two things. God is always at work for us, even in our sinful, wayward ways. And God can often use unsung heroes, people we would never imagine or think or dream of, who can work God's will in the world so that we can achieve what it is God desires. I don't know about you, but I've had days when I didn't know that God was with me. I've had days when I didn't feel as though God's will was being worked. But now I can reflect on a very strange story about a woman named J.L. who was doing God's will and was working God's ways in all of God's faithfulness. And I'm grateful because it helps me 
to keep moving with God by my side and God doing what God does so well, redeeming all of God's creation. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for the gift of your son Jesus and the powerful ways that he redeems each one of us individually and how he can redeem your creation. God, we're thankful this day even for a strange and weird story by a woman named J.L. who did something highly unique and highly unfashionable, and yet she helps us cross the bridge to find your will and your way because you, God, are always faithful, always willing to redeem us even when we feel irredeemable. God, we are eternally grateful that you are always willing to call us home. God, this is our prayer, and we lift it in the name of Jesus, whom we know to be the Christ. Amen.